in a sense. Love that book of Revelation. Uh, been here now for 25 years, and during that time I have preached through, I've done some Old Testament Bible studies, but most of what we've done is spend time in the New Testament, and I've preached through every book in the New Testament with the exception of Second Timothy and Second and Third John. So I was very tempted to go there uh, after we left Revelation, but, uh, but I prayed to the, to the Lord, and he really seemed to open my heart up with the idea that, that uh, it's time to redo Romans. <laughs> I did Romans early on in my ministry, and, and I hadn't really studied it as much as maybe I should have at that time, because it's not an easy book. It's a pretty complicated book in, uh, in many ways, and uh, at the same time, a very, very important book. Some people would say that Romans is probably, after the Gospels, is the most important book in the New Testament. Uh, the reason being it's chock full of all kinds of theology, uh, and it's all about the gospel. I mean, I hope that you get this idea from the very beginning of Romans that the gospel itself is the very heart and root of, of all of it. But one thing you'll see is this, is as we go here, every now and then we're going to see Paul asking questions. And what he's doing there is he's anticipating questions he knows that people are going to ask based upon the things he's just taught. You're going to see this pattern over and over again. So he's anticipating those questions, and he's answering those questions uh, very often. It's a very, uh, very theological book. Much of the, the, the theology that the church holds to today is derived, at least in part, from uh, this book of, of Romans. You may not realize it, but it was very instrumental in the conversion of St. Augustine. Romans thirteen fourteen had everything to do with his, his conversion. And if you look down through church history, what you would find is there are very few people in all of church history that have had as much influence and impact as uh, St. Augustine did. But Romans had everything to do with his conversion. You think about Martin Luther. Uh, I know that the stories told about him coming to faith as he was walking through the field one day with a friend of his and the lightning was striking around and he cried out, you know, if you save me, St. Anne, then I will become a monk. Uh, I don't think that at all was the time of Martin Luther's conversion. I think his conversion came later on when he began to teach from the Word of God. And he began to teach from the, uh, from the book of Romans. And I think it changed him. It transformed his understanding of virtually every aspect of faith in Christ Jesus. James Boyce writes of, of Romans, Christianity has been the most powerful, ever think about this, has been the most powerful transforming force in all of human history. There are all kinds of things that people would want to give you the idea that would fit in that category, but really Christianity is all by itself. The book of Romans is the most basic, most comprehensive statement of true Christianity. Well, we're going to do Romans the same way that we typically do. We're going to preach through the book verse by verse. And uh, so we'll be starting with verse 1 in chapter 1 this morning. And we're only going to be getting through the first two or three verses. So a lot of good stuff there. Uh, 
who knows how long it's going to take us to get through Romans. It took us over a year and a half to do, or about a year and a half to do Revelation. So. Okay, so beginning with verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, for whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome, Called as saints, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You probably know a lot about the Apostle Paul. You probably know that he had a dramatic conversion from Pharisaic Judaism, he was a Pharisee. And not just a Pharisee, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was an active Pharisee. He really believed very fully in his works, self-works-based religion. Until he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. His conversion was dramatic. I don't know about yours. How dramatic was yours? Some people have described, actually just told me that sometimes when they think about my conversion, it reminds them of the conversion of the Apostle Paul. I was a worldly man, had learned a lot, already had four college degrees at that point, three college degrees at that point. Thought I had everything figured out. And I was confronted with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he changed my life. And I know that you've experienced the same sort of thing. Paul describes himself here. Not just as a servant. But as a bond servant. Or you might even say a slave. What you would find with the Apostle Paul is this, is he was very zealous for God before. Very zealous for his Pharisaism. As a matter of fact, we know that he was one of the earliest persecutors of the church, and he he persecuted the church severely. That he was on the road to Damascus to do the same thing there that he had been doing in Jerusalem, and that is having Christians arrested and thrown into prison. And being in full agreement when they were executed, as Stephen was when he was stoned. We are told that Paul fully agreed with what had happened to this young person. Paul describes himself as a slave, as zealous as he was to eradicate the Christian church. He became equally zealous to see it grow and blossom. 
I think it's safe to say that other than Jesus Christ, there's probably no one in Scripture mentioned that had quite the influence the Apostle Paul did, not even the Apostle Peter or the Apostle John. There's no one that the advancement of the church into the West from Jerusalem can be, be, be described as being more active than the Apostle Paul. Some things are very clear about Paul in the scriptures, and one of those is he was completely sold out to this Jesus. He gave his heart, he gave his life, he gave every aspect of his being to serving this Lord that he had one time persecuted. The enemy of the church became the greatest advocate of the church. What does that say about his God? Does he have a mighty God? Does he have a powerful God to change him like he did? We're talking about from one extreme to the exact opposite extreme. Called as an apostle. How many apostles were there? Not too terribly many. You have the 11 after you take out Judas, and then you have Paul, and you have uh, a few other people. James is called an apostle at times. James, the brother of Jesus. There's some people who would say that the office of apostle continues on into the church today, that Roman Catholics would claim that basically the Pope is an apostle. But what we understand is this, is the apostles were just a special group of men that Jesus set aside specifically for a purpose. And that purpose was to carry on his ministry once he ascended into heaven. No one would ever have believed for a minute that the apostle Paul would be one of those men. Least of all being Paul himself. Set apart for the gospel of God. A gospel that he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Some people would have the idea that there was no gospel before the New Testament appeared. That's not what we're told here. That the seed of the gospel is all through the Old Testament. You think about the prophets. The office of prophet began with Moses. The book of Genesis is full of all kinds of prophecy. The promise of the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. All the way back in chapter 3. Of Genesis. You think about the, the approach that Jesus took to preaching. What was preaching for Jesus? Well, it was constant reference to Old Testament scriptures. The point we're making here, my friends, is this, is that the gospel is always around. It's been around all along. It may be clearer to us today, but it's something that has, is rooted in the, the whole Bible. 
In other words, what Paul is teaching here is nothing new. It's been around for thousands of years. That gospel of grace first revealed to the prophets. You think about the conversation that Jesus had with those two disciples, Cleopas and the other one, on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. He suddenly appeared to them and started conversing with them. And at one point, he began to explain to them from the Old Testament, the gospel. If I were to take your New Testament away from you, could you go out and tell people about Jesus? Seriously, could you do that? You should be able to. You should be able to, because the gospel is is woven all through the Old Testament scriptures, just as it is in the New Testament. Don't get me wrong, I'm very glad that we have the New Testament, because it brings things into much sharper contrast and clarifies some things that we might have questions about. And just remember this, witnessing is a responsibility of every believer, and that witnessing means to be able to explain Scripture to people. I would imagine that's something that, uh, that Bo and Bryn are going to be actively doing. I love what they're doing in, uh, in Amsterdam. They're doing basically the same thing that Stephanie uh, Swanson is doing with her husband Joel now in France. They're not ordained ministers. They're going. And they're just living there. But they're living there with purpose and intent. Not just because they might like living in Rotterdam. They are there for a purpose. And it doesn't sound like they really do like living there. They've sacrificed a lot to go. And live in a place they don't really necessarily like to live. Do, do, they, do they really want to have that kind of a culture influencing their children at all? But they're doing it. To teach the gospel. That same gospel that began back in the Garden of Eden. And just so we'll be clear, what, is the, what, are the, what are the basic tenets of the gospel? You may be sitting here saying, well, I hear, I hear people in the church throw that word gospel around all the time, but I'm not exactly sure what particular aspects of things they're talking about. But fundamentally, it's this, and that is we have all sinned and fallen short of glory of God. All of us, every one of us. There is no exception. We also will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will give an accounting to him for what we've done in our life. 
We talked about this in Revelation. It's not going to be the same thing for believers. It is unbelievers, but you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you'll give accounting to him for what you've done with the life he's given to you. Have you done it for his glory? We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God could have left it at that. But he chose not to. He provided a means by which men and women might be saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Who being the eternal son of God. Took upon himself the flesh of a man. He came and he lived this life in this world. A difficult life. He never sinned one time. Sin was not part of his picture. Then he died that horrible death on the cross to save all of those who would trust in his works on their behalf. He's the son of God. He bears the attributes of divinity in every aspect as the father in the Holy Spirit. He is eternal. He has always been. There is, has no beginning and he will have no end. He is almighty. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is infinite. Is glorious. But the time came when he took upon himself the flesh of a man. As a descendant of David. Why is David important? He's important for this reason, and that is Second Samuel seven. What we call the Davidic covenant. Was David a perfect man? Did David have a great heart for God? You have to say, yes, he did. He really did have a great heart for God. And one thing about David that stands out over even Solomon is this. Is even though David did some really bad things in life, he had the affair with Bathsheba and, uh, and, and there were other things that he did that displeased God, he never turned away from God. He never turned to idols. He didn't go to idol worship. He wasn't always perfect. He didn't always do what God wanted him to do. But he never gave up on God. He never gave up on the true God. God made him a promise. And that promise was that he would have an heir that would sit on the eternal throne. We know that that heir is none other than Jesus Christ. He's the son of David, but at the same time, he's the son of God. Both divine and human. Making the gospel even possible. Without him, there would be no gospel. 
declared the Son of God with the power of the resurrection. Just think about the Apostle Paul. Here he is on the way to Damascus with the purpose of persecuting intensely these Christians that were beginning to pop up all over the place. And his passion, his desire was to snuff it all out before it took root and got to amount to anything. And all of a sudden, on the road to Damascus, he hears a voice. And that voice says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, Paul was persecuting people for a lot of reasons, and one of those was that he knew that they believed that this Jesus fellow had been resurrected from the dead. Now, can you imagine being Paul? Jesus is now talking to him. That sounds rather like an oops move, uh, moment to me. <laughs> oops! I've been persecuting people who have claimed that this man has been resurrected. And matter of fact, he has been resurrected because he's talking to me now. Boy, I messed up. I messed up big time. Jesus Christ. Talked a lot about grace last week. Remember how we define grace? We've done it many times in the past. That what it amounts to is unmerited favor. In other words, favor that is given, granted for no reason. No compelling reason at all. It's not a reward for anything. It's just freely given because the one who gives it freely gives it. Paul understands this, and you're going to see this, this whole principle of grace undergird everything he talks about, everything he teaches all through this book of Romans. Romans is all about grace. Of God showing favor to people that don't deserve it. They haven't earned it in any way, shape, or form. They're not better than other people. God just freely gives it. Paul was an apostle set apart, one of those men set apart specially by Jesus to carry on his ministry into the world. But he was a special apostle. Because he was told on that road to Damascus that he was to go into Damascus and there he was going to meet a guy named Ananias and he was going to tell him what he wanted him to do. To tell him what his mission was. And his mission was to carry the gospel to the Gentiles, to people like the Romans. And Paul adopted this approach in that uh, when he went to the different places on his missionary journeys, typically he would go to the Jews first. 
but when and if they rejected the gospel, then he would turn to the Gentiles. Paul made it to Rome eventually. You need to understand that he's writing this letter to people he hasn't met, people he doesn't know. He's just heard about the greatness of their faith. And he wants to commend them for it. And he's had this passion. He's had this desire to go to Rome. But it hasn't happened. Really very likely that he wrote this letter to the Romans when he was in Corinth on his third missionary journey. In other words, Paul was getting near the end of what we consider to be his missionary journeys. But remember, God had made him his bondservant. Jesus had made him his bondservant. And and, and Paul knew that he was not done. Paul did ministry up to the very end. We need to understand that. That even when he gets to Rome, he's there under arrest. He's there because he makes an appeal to Caesar. If you read the book of Philippians, it's one of those prison epistles. And people, when they saw that Paul had been arrested, can you imagine what it did to the church? How many people looked upon that as, oh my goodness, Paul is in prison, that's going to be the end of everything. There were some people who loved Paul so much and were so dependent upon Paul, I would imagine they pictured as that being kind of the end of all. But what is the book of Philippians noted for? What's the message of it over and over again? Rejoice. Rejoice. Because Paul took that that most people would see as a negative bad thing and turned it into a ministry opportunity to the point that the message of the gospel had penetrated all in way into the household of Caesar. Paul rejoiced that he had been thrown in prison because that gave him the opportunities that he had to propagate the gospel like that. The gospel going out to the Gentiles. Now, I'd imagine that's probably really good news for you and me. There may be some people in here that have a good bit of Jewish blood in them. I don't imagine most of us do. You know, if we go back far enough, we're all related. You understand that. If you go back far enough in history, you're related to everybody that's ever lived on the face of the planet. But most of us, I would imagine, are of Gentile stock. Right? You understand that it was, it was Paul primarily in the beginning who brought the gospel to the Gentiles. There's a sense in which our roots lie in the work that Paul began to lay. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Are you in the Bible anywhere? Wouldn't it be kind of cool if your name was there somewhere? 
Kathy Frankenfield or Flora Barker or Grady Carpazzi, somewhere in the scriptures, wouldn't that just make you feel like a special, celebrated person? Well, your main name may not be there, but you are. That you is you. Think about it. We're going to stop here. We'll pick up with this next week and continue on to the end whenever that may eventually come.